Another, there it is, I think, to another episode of Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line with the movers and shakers, the TV and filmmakers, the writers, directors, producers, editors, costume designers, composers, uh, film editors, sound editors, sound mixers, of course, actors, and so much more. Um, you can find us every, if you're listening now, you know how to find us every Monday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern time on AdrenalineRadio.com, or you can watch the ever boring me sitting here in the studio Facebook, live Facebook stream on the AdrenalineRadio.com Facebook page. Um, the best part of watching that are the, my tablescapes that I do every week, and this week Huge thanks to Netflix and to Neon uh, for starting to inundate me with For Your Consideration screening links and paraphernalia uh, and goodies for awards season. Uh, so uh, some great films. One that Netflix is, is showcasing to the press, and it's well worth it. Um, I didn't need any goodies on this one. Um, because it is such a spectacular film, is Over the Moon. And they are, and for, for your consideration, best original song, Rocket to the Moon, uh, Stephen Price's score, oh, which, by the way, hey, Matt, at narrative. Matt, we got to talk. Uh, <laughs> follow up on that one. And, of course, this beautiful book on the animation. The animation of Over the Moon is, is stunning. Um, and great family film. Folks, now that we're in the holiday season, now that so many of us are back in lockdown again uh, in the Los Angeles area and elsewhere, kids need a respite. I'm sorry, they need a respite. They need something entertaining. Color, animation, and a solid story and beautiful music is just that for them. I can't recommend uh, Over the Moon highly enough. But a lot of great films are up for awards consideration this year. And I have to say, still, I will champion this film till I die. Rod Lurie, The Outpost, Caleb Landry Jones for acting consideration. Uh, superb. Superb. Uh, so just a few little tidbits. You get a sense if, if you tune in on Mondays and you check out the Facebook uh, live stream as to what films may be coming up. Some titles that you haven't heard of. We'll be talking about more in the future weeks to come. Because today we have a full show with two fabulous live guests. Uh, Tyler Q. Rosen, writer, director, editor, producer. His debut feature documentary, um, doing my drugs and it's not what you're thinking folks this is an incredible film that 
will premiere, I think, tomorrow, December 1st, on World, World AIDS Day. Uh, yes, AIDS, HIV, AIDS is still an issue in the world today. It isn't all about coronavirus. And uh, HIV, AIDS, the film showcases Thomas Muchimba Batenshin. He is born in Zambia, raised in Denmark. His parents took him there. He was, as a small child, he was ill. Turns out he was born with AIDS in 1985. He is still, thanks to medical treatments and protocols, he is very much alive. He is happily married. He has two children now. His wife is HIV-free. His children are HIV-free. And he now wants to give back. And has ret- and returned to his home country of Zambia because of the severe epidemic of HIV/AIDS there, and is trying to educate the people, get have them get tested. You see a lot of similarities to what we're going through right now with coronavirus and people not getting tested uh, and things along that line. So we're gonna hop on here with Tyler in a minute. I know Tyler's holding right now, uh, and then. At the half-hour mark, I am so thrilled to be reconnecting with dear, dear Joan Carl Wigan. She has a new film, Getting to Know You, and it's already available digitally. Uh, It came out on the 24th, just before the Thanksgiving weekend, and it is a a rom-com, a romedy, uh, a dramedy. It is charming and enchanting. Pam, what are you doing? You forgot to turn the Vimo on. I'm talking I'm talking about the video live stream on Facebook and Pam forgot to turn the camera on. Oh, it turned itself off. Okay. So we have backup audio turning itself off and rejecting discs today. We've got the the Vimo or whatever camera um, turning itself off. We're having a lot of technical fun. But no, Joan will be joining us at the midpoint of the show. But Right now, I am I am so pleased to welcome Tyler Rosen to the show. Welcome, Tyler. Hello. Thank you for having me. I am thrilled to have you. And what perfect timing with this film and tomorrow being World AIDS Day. Right. Uh, yeah. Uh, little we're fortunate it's coming out around the same time, or actually on that day. Because it's the uh, rare time on the calendar where a lot of people focus their refocus their attention on the HIV AIDS problem. And that is absolutely right. And unfortunately, I think a lot of things such as HIV AIDS has fallen by the wayside this year in light of coronavirus. But the similarities to the need for testing and treatment, um, the 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 comparison is right there. It goes hand in hand. Uh, and what we learned and many people have heard Dr. Fauci talk about this because he was involved early on in the HIV AIDS epidemic uh, a couple decades ago, the importance of testing and the importance of treatment and in finding vaccines. And unfortunately, there is no HIV AIDS vaccine, but there are there are some amazing drug therapy protocols and we get to see those in action firsthand in this documentary that focuses on Thomas Machimba, 
who was born with HIV AIDS. Uh, and here he is all these decades later, thanks to medical science, uh, and is essentially healthy and strong, but for that one little blip. And it's inspiring to see his story, but it's more inspiring to see what he is now doing in his home, in his native country of Zambia. Um, yeah, this exactly. Is, I, I couldn't agree more. This is... It's not often we see somebody really put their money where their mouth is, so to speak. And he's definitely doing that by using music to reach the people. He's done his concerts, ticket for testing, free music concerts. You get a ticket. It's free to go, but you get a ticket and you redeem it with a free test. Um, that's a deal. That's a deal. Yeah. America should be doing that for coronavirus. <laughs> right? Everybody would be clamoring to get tested. Right? Ta- ta- yes. Your company, Whale Film, Tyler, you do, you do ads, you do events, you do TV, film, experiential things. This is an amazing production, Doing My Drugs, but I'm curious oh, how this uh, it, number it's beautiful to look at. And oh, thanks. the vibrancy of the visuals. You're, the camera work is outstanding, but it's the vibrancy in life that you capture with the colors, the native colors of the Zambians. Right. That right. it belies death that people associate with HIV AIDS. This is so life-affirming and inspiring to watch this. So I'm curious how you found out about Thomas, where you got this idea to make this documentary, because it really does go hand-in-hand with his musical outreach. Yes. Thomas and I were friends. We've been friends for a long time, and we met through traveling, we, we met on a small island in Indonesia and then uh, traveled together and hang out anytime I was over in Europe. And one day he just asked me, you want to make a movie about music in Africa? And I said, I sure did. Um, let's find some funding. And I, we, um, I wrote a grant to the Danish Composer Society mm-hmm. to see if they would give us uh, a small amount of money that would allow us to shoot a short music documentary down in Zambia and they gave us a very small amount of money which was very helpful it was really the seed money and then Thomas immediately booked us flights to Zambia and we just started shooting it was so guerrilla and it was so run and gun but it was it was exactly what we love doing together you know he's he he loves playing music and writing songs and I just absolutely love documenting people and stories so it w- immediately we just started going after it and very very quickly it dawned on us both that we really needed to tell his story mm-hmm. because originally i think maybe he wanted to avoid that story and focus on the music because that's who thomas is right. he doesn't focus on his uh, hiv positivity but due to the circumstances in zambia affecting all of his fellow countrymen and his family he realized that it's his duty to tell this story and tell it properly in a way that uh, is responsible and 
from there, we just started catering the film to an HIV awareness film, always keeping in mind that this is a rock doc in its heart and soul, you know, because it, it, it's a lot easier to tell, uh, to educate through music mm-hmm. than it is, uh, wagging your finger from a lab coat, mm-hmm. you know? So, and what I like about Thomas is that he's, he's African, he's Zambian and he's European, you yes. know, he's African, he's European, he's black, he's white. He really bridges the gap and he just has this incredible platform and a, and a beautiful voice. He's just always got his guitar and it, it was just a pleasure to, to document this story. Well, you know, music has long been <coughs> the connective tissue uh, for mankind uh, as far yeah. back as, as anything, going back to the Sumerians and even earlier than that. Um, music has always been that umbilical cord, um, that connective tissue that right. ties all of us together. Which is why, and I think one of the first times we saw this really take hold was with Bob Geldof with Band-Aid. Right. And do we know it's Christmas about the famine in Ethiopia? And then subsequently with Live Aid. And it was music that brought everybody in. But when once you bring everybody in, then the message becomes very clear because word of mouth then starts. And what I love here is Thomas, his songs, you know, that's why I prefaced at the top of the show, doing my drugs is not what people think it is. Uh, (laughs) One of his songs is doing my drugs because, as his wife so succinctly talks about in the film, he's like everybody else. Plenty of people get up and they take pills every morning. So does he. It's no different. Uh, So there's a lot, there's inherent, humor there's double meanings in here and i love his music i have to say his music is so me too oh my god it is so peppy it is upbeat um as as dick clark would have said back in the day it's got a good beat (laughs) you can dance to it and it's something the world needs right now we need some positivity i i view thomas as this beacon of yes of hope he He's somebody who can become a, a huge role model to, to an entire generation. And it's something Zambia needs. You know, the infection rate down there is it, officially it's 13 or 14 percent of the population. But that's not what our friends have told us. Mm. It's more like 18, maybe as much as 20. Sure. People are dying all the time there and nobody's dying of AIDS, quote unquote. So right. the stigma is super thick and... Now here we have this gentleman who's hip, he's cool, he's got fantastic music, and he's well-medicated. You know, it's mm-hmm. not just drugs, it's the antiretroviral treatment. Yeah. And when you're well-medicated, it's impossible to pass on the disease. And yep. it's, now, it's no longer a death sentence. That language needs to be eliminated. It is a manageable condition. Mm-hmm. So Thomas is well-medicated. He has two, two healthy children, a healthy... Um, you know, they made them the healthy, the, the natural way. So he, he's living his life to the fullest, and you can too if you have HIV. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that we really get to see because your camera work is so intimate. Um, and I love the run and gun guerrilla styling uh, that you shot this, Tyler, uh, because everybody, we, we get to see the faces and you get to see the right. surprise on people's faces when they find out 
that he is HIV AIDS positive and how long he has been living and that he is living. He's not lying in a bed somewhere. He is living. Right. Um, and you look at their f- and the f- their faces, and it's almost in some of the instances, it's like relief comes over them. Like, okay, right. I'll go get tested. And right. that is so heartwarming to see. And those are the kind of things that we don't see enough, especially in documentaries that address issues like this. Even with the way coronavirus is being addressed out in the public today, it's not the positivity that anybody's seeing. It's the wagging, right. it's the wagging of the fingers and the fear, which is what the Zambians have with HIV-AIDS. And they get coronavirus, too. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's one of the biggest things I tried to do when I crafted this film. I made, the, I, I made this movie for the Zambians, and I want them to be well represented because they are. That's why some of these supporting casts and these other musicians that Thomas collaborated with, these guys are super articulate, mm-hmm. they're super talented, and they've been advocates, and they've been doing it for 15, in some cases, 20 years. Yeah. So these 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 artists are just trying to pound home this message of this is a manageable condition. This is how we need to make ourselves better. That you know you need to know your status to protect yourself, protect your loved ones. Uh, and they, we, and Thomas, we've really kind of just taken the baton from them. Like you mentioned, Live Aid and and the previous efforts. This is a a continuation of the previous efforts. However, mm-hmm. we like to think that we're putting. Uh, a cooler and more relatable spin on it to, to today's yeah. youth. It, HIV AIDS needs a role model right now. Yes. And like it's never had before. And it, I think Thomas can really provide that. It needs a face. And Thomas yeah. is that face in his native country. Thomas is now, he has put a face to it as you well know from the work that you do, be it in advertising or, or, when you do these experiential events, you have to have somebody that everyone can connect to. There has to be that face. There has to be that connective tissue of, in this case, music as well. And it's one thing for activists to stand up and say something. It's another thing when you have a Rock Hudson who opens up and says, right. I'm dying of AIDS. Um, and that's and whereas back in the day it was okay, this disease is a killer, and I'm dying, and this one's dying, and this one's dying. Here we have somebody who now is saying, "Hey, not a death sentence. I'm living." Yeah, and for, especially with today's generation, I don't care what country you're in. I think that's very, very important, and you really let us feel that with your construct of this documentary. Um, yeah, I'm really curious, Tyler, because you also worked on the editing as well. Were you, mm-hmm. e- were you editing as you shot? Did you just accumulate a ton of footage and then go back oh. and view it all? You had to have hours and hours and hours of footage here to call through. I had some. over 700 hours. Whoa. Okay. You yeah, now. It was a little too much. <laughs> Well, you, you know, the, the, 
the issue was is I we started shooting, uh, but the, uh, the story was living and breathing, and it kept developing. Yeah, you know, Thomas had his second child in the middle of our shoot, so. And, and, of course, it was in Zambia, and it was uh, mostly self-funded. Of course, we had some investors, but this is an indie film to the core. So yeah. it was myself and my friends gathering funds that we could get together and going back to Zambia. So next thing you knew, we shot over three years. And, and then there was also this hu- very huge uh, album studio session. So Thomas made the soundtrack album of, of all of his songs. And we, we filmed that in Los Angeles and in Denmark and in Zambia. And I tried making that work in the film, you know, because at the core, I really wanted to make a really cool rock doc. And I have, was really pushing for that. And I, and I was trying to make a very cinematic experience. And ultimately, uh, I, pro- I went down that road for about a year. And ultimately, the studio stuff just didn't work. It, mm-hmm. it wasn't necessary. What, was ne- what was worked the most was focusing on Zambia and Thomas's story, and so throughout the editing process, yes, we there was a time when we were we were throwing uh, the story together as we shot, but um, I would say we were in post for a good two years or, or more. It was it was um, very challenging. It was very challenging story to put together, yet very simple at the end. In the end, it was like uh, an epiphany for me of oh, there it was the whole time sitting in front of me, and I was I was trying to. And of course, like first time filmmakers trying to include everything, but you know, one of the biggest problems was the, the, how many amazing musical performances there were Yeah, it, it, and having to winnow those out. Yeah. The, it comes down to kill your darlings and it kills you mm-hmm. to do that. I've been there. I know. Um, yeah. I have to say, Tyler, I think you now hold the record out of every filmmaker I have <laughs> interviewed over the past almost 35 years. Um, I think the prior record was over 450 hours of footage. So uh, you now, um, you are king of the footage. Um, (laughs) Well, mine was digital, so maybe it's a cheating stat. (laughs) No, theirs was digital, too. Oh, okay. So, but, you know. Well, I don't recommend it. Don't shoot that (laughs) often, kid. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, how did you, because the vibrancy, um, the vibrancy in the life that you capture of the Zambian people, and it's, but you also, you bring in the medical professionals, but they're not talking heads. You actually have them engaging with patients and explaining to them in layman's language as to what they should do, what they can do. I'm really curious did you run into any kind of issues or anyone have trepidation about you filming these very personal moments? Sure. There were some, there were times where people would say, can you, can you shut off the camera or do you mind not shooting this? It's a very sensitive topic, Mm -hmm. especially there. And, uh, the, the stigma is so thick. It's, it's, it's fear and it's shame and it's, you know, you have folks who, when they find out they're HIV positive, they'll they'll go 30 kilometers to the next town over to get their ARVs just to hide it from people. Wow. So to break that veil and that curtain was a challenge. And ultimately, I think there were folks who knew that it was for the greater good to, to allow me to point the camera at them. And I took great strides to, to be a hidden factor. 
and and, and uh, a fly on the wall. Mm-hmm. I really try. You know, I, I I really wanted most of the information to come out in in situations like situational scenes through dialogue mm-hmm. rather than talking heads. I thought that it would best mimic uh, the art of Th- Thomas's art and how his messages also um, hit you sideways, almost on a subliminal level, because you're tapping your foot and you're humming along rather than mm-hmm. listening to a lecture. Well, and that's what I, I love how virtually this entire film is conversational. When people are talking, it is conversational. And what you also do is you don't have du- the camera directly in somebody's face, other than perhaps Thomas or some of the, the, social, the musical social activists. Uh, who have been doing this for a while, but with the everyday man on the st- man or woman on the street, or in their homes, the camera is uh, not giving us a full frontal. You're capturing emotion and body language uh, as they're engaged in conversation. You see the head tilt. You see the hand go up to the chin. Uh, with I think one of Thomas's uh, his mother's friends, uh, right. when she learned for the first time that um, his mother had had AIDS, right. so it's really interesting and it's so humanizing and it is so emotionally affecting um, because right. when you know yourself with a lot of talking heads, it always feels staged. It's cold. No matter how good some of the talking heads can be, you don't have that human touch. And here you really deliver that human touch, Tyler. That's it's music to my ears to hear you say that because it's exactly what I was trying to accomplish. It's it's fantastic that you recognize that. And I think ultimately it did help us. And again, the Zambians deserve it. The, The this is a very progressive people in a lot of ways yeah they have some really ridiculous laws and they are very much an african country however they there's a lot of progressive minds there and there's mm-hmm. very talented and articulate people and they deserve to be represented as such oh you can tell that as the people are talking even as they're milling about um right yeah this dispels any of the notions that you might have gotten in school, reading books, um, or looking at old issues from the 1950s of National Geographic. That is not who these people are. Um, Exactly. They are smart. They are savvy. They are forward-thinking. But they're also, you can tell, they're also very private. This This is very revealing as to the human condition and privacy. And what's what, and the privacy that these people value, and I find that really striking as that comes across in the film. That's fantastic. Yeah, the, you know, and the, you mentioned COVID earlier. The Thomas and I were speaking about it this morning, and COVID is actually, in a way, perhaps helping. It may actually help. HIV and AIDS right now because it's shining the spotlight once again for a new generation. Hey, this isn't over yet. It's a manageable condition, but you know, they've been searching for a vaccine for HIV and AIDS for 40 years now. Yep. And now they're on the, the, 
the search for a vaccine for coronavirus. So we hope that maybe this can help actually moving forward. Well, and and I would think if anything is going to help, this would be it because of the new uh, developmental RNA de- developmental properties that they've come out with for right. the coronavirus vaccines, what we're seeing from Moderna and from Pfizer. Um, so that whole dispensation and the way that it works, that's all new technology. So hopefully, right. because the money has been poured into that technology now, now it's in place. Can it be incorporated into other diseases and viruses such as HIV AIDS. So I think you're absolutely correct. Uh, absolutely correct that this this could really be a big help and a push to We certainly hope so. Uh, yeah, to to get, you know, to get this epidemic back back on the map as well. Cuz that's right. And that's something that it never goes away. These things, they don't go away. Once they're here, they're here. And, yeah. and it takes something like, like doing my drugs to bring it back in, onto people's radar, I think. And you definitely, definitely bring it back on the radar here, Tyler. Ha, <laughs> Good. Because this disease does not deserve to be more stigmatized than the others. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I know Thomas takes two pills a day in the morning. A lot of people take pills. And I know a friend who's diabetic, and she has to shoot herself with needles yeah. every day. Why isn't, why isn't that more stigmatized? That seems, like a, that seems like a lot harder. So, you know, we, we know why it's stigmatized. There's a lot of reasons, a lot of early misinformation. Yes. It's a sexually transmitted thing. But ultimately... It doesn't deserve it, and it could be handled. Uh, it can finally be eradicated, really. We have the tools now. Mm-hmm. You know, how, uh, there are quite a, there's quite a bit of personal archival footage in here of Thomas's father. Was there ever a question that he would be including that? Um, there wasn't a question, but, you know, Thomas, Thomas was given that, uh, that footage, when he, in his 20s, mm-hmm. a, an old friend of his mother's delivered it to him, said, hey, your mom gave me this and he, she wanted you to have it. And Thomas had a lot of pain associated with the memories of his parents passing and, and being told that he had the same thing and he would die. You know, there was a lot of pain, early childhood trauma there, I believe. And he didn't really want to look into that box. And I think he glanced through it here and there. But most of that stuff was in slides. His dad was an avid photographer. And I said, well, can I take this box? He said, sure. And I took the box back to Los Angeles, and there was 3,000 slides there. There was a couple of VHS tapes, and what I found was, was amazing. It was so like, oh, my God. I, I, I felt like Yen, his father, had left this box for me to make this movie. It was that uh, emotional, really, for me. And then when I showed him what was in the box and the old photos, he was just, gushing and just like oh my god he hadn't seen there was a wedding tape you know when they had their mm-hmm. official wedding ceremony thomas was already i think uh, five years old or something and he saw that footage for the first time in his life and it just made a flood of emotions and memories come back to him and and it was it was cool it was very cool that was a, that was a nice moment in the making of this movie for sure and i love how you broke that footage up and interspersed it at different moments 
You didn't just include it all cool. at, at one time. Um, you really, you really know how to edit to tell a story, Tyler. That really comes across with this documentary. That's very nice of you to say. I appreciate that. You know, it took three of us. There's two other editors too. Jay Miracle, who's a seasoned guy, and then um, Jay and I had worked on the film for a long time, and we didn't quite solve it. We had it very close, and it was all right. And then I found Simon Coldrick out of New Zealand because he he had edited a film that I adored called Tickled. I'm not sure if you saw that. It was a documentary. Oh my God! Yes. Several years. Yeah, I love that film. And I thought, you know, that film probably has a lot of the similar issues and problems that mine has, which was you know lacking footage on certain scenes, not quite as engaging. And I just thought that the work he did on Tickled was so um, good, and he made it such a riveting story. And he came in and he had and he recut 32 minutes and just he didn't touch 45 minutes of it of our work. And then he came in and brush stroked and kind of put some signposts for the viewers and really helped bring it home. So it was definitely a three man job. Wow. Yeah, I'm I'm really curious because this is your debut feature documentary. Um, you bring it in very briskly at what, 74 minutes, 80 minutes, somewhere in there. Uh, right. But I'm curious, what was the learning curve like for you jumping into oh. this? Um, this had to be amazing, daunting, it was, suicidal. It was daunting. And, it, and I made mistakes. I walked into a lot of pitfalls that were there that I'll never walk into again and that other seasoned filmmakers wouldn't. But I also was very prepared from my career in production design and the even even reality television stuff I've done helps prep me for knowing, okay, when when someone comes through that door, where are we going to be and where the camera is going to be positioned and how can we be a fly on the wall and not uh, interrupt the vibe, especially when people are songwriting. So I have a lot of career training in it and, and I've been documenting since my entire life. I mean, I've been, I told Thomas this is the film I was... Uh, I've been dreaming of making my entire life. I've been wanting to make a movie this whole time and I haven't had the opportunity. And he brought this amazing gift to me of his story and this vibrant, beautiful country. So the learning curve was really hard and and on the business side too. And, you know, all the way to fundraising to the editing process. And, and there was another facet of the whole journey too, which was at some point thomas became an activist and i was documenting that but then together he and i started problem solving and i became an activist with my camera and then he and i started his nonprofit, the muchimbo music foundation and so at some point it actually became more than a film it was actually a movement and real logistics we ended up uh starting a test for ticket campaign where we off that you spoke of earlier, you get an HIV test, you're going to go to this show. And then that started getting really heavy where, okay, we're drawing people's blood now. And how do we, how do we deal with the people who test positive? And we started, we started um, partnering with these really big HIV AIDS foundations and UNAs. And we were enrolling people into patient care treatment programs and into counseling. And then it became, okay, now we're really helping the culture and, and, helping to make change down there. So then that, that was a whole learning curve too. Pretty crazy. It was, it was a fantastic <laughs> experience. You know, at this, and now that you have this, this feature documentary under your belt, 
is this going to change the kind of projects you go after, the things that you're looking to do in the future now? I think I think it's I'm forever changed. Yes, and I've seen the power that we yield uh, as influential um, at film. That film, film could be so influential. Music and the way you craft a story can influence young people specifically as well. I mean, all ages. So I think. I will. I am looking for more stories that can have as big of an impact as this one. Yes. Mm. Well, I can't thank you enough for being on behind the lens today, Tyler. This has been a real treat to get to talk to you. Uh, thank you, everybody. Thanks for having me. They can they can see doing my drugs for themselves uh, starting tomorrow on World AIDS Day, and yeah. I I hope you will come back on the show. Thank you. I, anytime. Call me anytime. We appreciate the support. It's a very grassroots effort. The fact that you took the time to watch the film and ask me really thoughtful questions, it means a lot. Thank you. And also, our album is out today. So we, you can listen to the Soundtrack album. You can support by buying it, or you can just stream it. And it's obviously on all the possible platforms out there. Exactly. Oh, Tyler, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I look Thank forward you. to talking to you again. Amazing. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Tyler Rosen doing my drugs. And now she's here. She's here. Joan Carr Wiggin. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I am so happy to be talking to you. It's been too long. The last time, I think, was a lovely, humid night in Culver City. At Fox Studios, where we yep. had just screened, um, we had just screened If I Were You, Marsha Gay Harden's movie. Yes, If I Were You with Marsha Gay Harden, indeed. And we talked oh, about... I wish your... I could just snap my fingers oh. and be there. I'm in a rainy, cold day in Toronto. Oh, my God. You because know, I, I remember what part of, we were talking about the red, your use of red in that film, because uh, it was oh, yeah. so significant um, to that storyline and to Marsha's character in the film. But I, ha- I have to tell you, I am in love with getting to know you. I am in love with Oh, that's sweet. Thank you. I, I mean, you, first of all, you cast Rupert Henry Jones. Now, yeah. I've seen him in so many things over the years, but I'm sorry. Hallmark's crown, crown for Christmas, that he, he, ha- yeah. he got me with that forever and a day, let me tell you. Uh, I know, and he's and he's got he's got such a range, and he's the nicest guy in the world. Ah, uh, because I've seen him in the, the MI five stuff, uh, but you did Persuasion with uh, Sally Hawkins. Yes, so I, I just I am a huge, huge, huge fan of Rupert's anyway, um, and then to see him in this role as poor Luke, he goes home. Everybody should know you never bother going home for a class reunion. It's always <laughs> an issue. And you remind us of why you don't go home for reunions. But then there's also and Natasha Little as Abby. She is a delight. And the two of them together, 
Your casting here, Joan, is impeccable. They leap off the screen. They spark the minute the film opens and the two of them are at the front desk in this hotel. And yeah, yeah. That, that, they, they just have a magic there. Yeah. Where did the idea for getting to know you arise? Were you sitting at breakfast? Oh. Were you yelling at David and, and saying, you know, <laughs> I have an idea and I'm blaming it on you? I, I actually dreamt it. I actually dreamt, as, as actually, I dreamt the start of If I Were You as well. And I dreamt the start of this movie. I just dreamt the idea of some woman away and she was, you know, and she was falling for somebody and then just almost forgetting that she had a family back home. Oh, my God. What a dream. Yeah, and it just it just went from there. And then we had already worked with Natasha. So, I, I mean, Natasha was obviously perfect for that role. Oh, she! but you put the two of them together. And one thing that you always do that I love, and this goes all the way back to a previous engagement, which you know how much I love that film. Um, you were wonderful about that film. My, you, we really appreciate that. My love has... I been, think that's the best review we've ever had from anyone <laughs> for anything. Uh, <laughs> that is still one of my go-to, I-must-see, I-must-watch films, because of the joy, the sheer joy, and Juliet Stevenson, but Checky, okay. All right, there aren't, yeah. no, there aren't enough words. <laughs> w- words for you. you always get the best actors. Let me tell you, I don't know what the secret is here, Joan. But what you also... Yeah, I've, I've been very lucky. <laughs> but what you also do, you never scrimp on the supporting players, on their characters... There's and here with getting to know you, the characters that you surround Luke and Abby with are to die for. Uh, from our front desk clerk to the chef slash owner to yeah, uh, lovely young Canadian actors. Oh my gosh, and even. I don't know, a, a bartender named Cindy who doesn't want to work. That is my niece. That yes. was Karen Carwigan. Yeah, she's yeah. a graduate of drama school. She started an indie movie, so I'm not doing her any favors. She's a very talented young actress. She She's hilarious as Cindy. And as the bartender who's like, okay, it's dead. I'm going home. And yeah. <laughs> But you, well, we've all been in places where the staff was like that. That's just it. All of these characters are so recognizable, Joan. Where do you start? How do you start building a film like this? Does it start with Abby and Luke and then fan out to the supporting players? Or, yeah, are, or yeah. The, and yeah, it, it, yeah it, it, it starts with them. And we do UK-Canada co-production, so... Often our leads come from England, and then um, the rest of the cast is made up by um, by Canadians. Uh, just and in developing, the character traits are so rich, are so much fun. Um, I have to say, Rachel Blanchard as Luke's ex girlfriend, Kayla, she's a scream. Oh, she's wonderful, and so much of that was her. Like, yeah, she really came up with great stuff. 
you couldn't put drunkenness on the page. That had to <laughs> that has to come from the gut. Ben Kingsley told me that once. He said he said playing drunk is so difficult. So difficult. People think you just fall down. No, he goes it it's so much more difficult when somebody is playing a drunk character to really capture the nuance and all the ticks and things and the over exaggerations that come into play. And Rachel knocks it out of the park here. And it was funny because the union, uh, quite reasonably in this day and age, was saying to us, like, are you sure, like, Rachel will be comfortable doing the scene and everything? And we were like, yes, we've gone over everything with Rachel. She signed a document saying, you know, she was very comfortable as director. I wouldn't ask her to do anything that was inappropriate. And then she just walks in and rips Rupert's shirt open. (laughs) (laughs) Forget about the tie. She's ripping the shirt open. And that's, this is one of the great things you do. You just... And comedy comes inherently. Laughs come inherently within your films, just out of human nature and human action and reaction. And you don't expect he's wearing this bright blue tie and you figure, okay, the the tie's coming off. The the tie's getting loosened. Nope. Rip the shirt. And (laughs) the tie is still strangling him around his neck and around the shirt collar. Um, and you have to laugh at something like that. It yeah. it lightens. Yeah, they were great together. And then you bring in Natasha, who's pretending to be Luke's wife in order to get rid of Kayla, and she's all prim and proper with the longer skirt, the long sleeves, buttoned up Londoner, uh, and it's such an interesting dynamic that you create, and. You work with and you bring back Bruce Wall, your cinematographer who you've worked with before. Mm-hmm. And yep. he does great work uh, and yeah. he does it fast. <laughs> he does amazing work. Um, but what he does, the two of you do with your camera positioning and your framing is really spectacular. Because it really feels like a round robin is happening. Nobody's excluded and nothing feels like you're just out to get a coverage shot. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Because I, I, I like the actors to feel comfortable. Like I don't like the actors to feel like props, you know, just being moved around. Um, so, I, you know, we really work hard, Bruce and I, to come up with some way of filming it that, you know, makes them, you know, feel they can do their best work. Yeah, I I just love, and of course, the lighting and the framing, uh, once again, it's just gorgeous to look at. Gorgeous to look at. Yeah, Bruce is very, very good. And the way he uses light within a room, the golden tones so that a hotel room doesn't look as disgusting as a hotel room normally looks. (laughs) That's Um, true, yes. It doesn't look cheap and tawdry. Um, and all that, you know, kind of a yellow, ugly kind of yellow kind of pallor. No, this is warmer. Uh, and interestingly, you've got the more uglier pallor when you go to Kayla's house. You can feel the unhappiness through the lighting. Yeah. 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 I guess, I mean, I, I, you know, Rachel gives such a good performance. She's so hilarious, and she's also really moving in places. You know, how, 
what kind of uh, visual influences did you and Bruce have for the look and uh, that visual tonal bandwidth of this film? Uh, you know, I think that a lot of us is working together a lot, but I know we both really like Mad Men. We, we mm-hmm. like that look very, very much. That real, and that fits, that fits the character of Luke in particular. Yeah. That re- you know, a bit of a, a bit of an, ele- an elegant look. Mm-hmm. Well, I, honestly, I can't picture Rupert not being elegant. So, um, <laughs> so you nail, you nail that. But I, I have to ask you about you, some of these other characters that you bring in. Um, you've got Kayla's husband. You have Mark Forward, a very successful stand-up comic, very funny guy. He is hilarious. You have a scene inside of um, Kayla's house, and he's sitting there, and you have Abby sitting next to him, and uh, you know she's trying to get a letter out from under her butt and and hide it. And he's thinking, okay, she wants me. She wants me. <laughs> and you watch his face and the way he starts inching his hand up on her knee. And then you have Natasha with a blank look trying to ignore that this is happening. And then you take the camera across to Rupert as Luke and his eyes are getting like huge because he sees yeah. what's happening. And it is it is hilarious but you get someone like him in there, and then you bring in Dwayne Murray as Luke's childhood friend Greg, who is now a minister. Uh, that third act, when he comes in, Joan, that is a free-for-all of fun. Isn't he a wonderful... I mean, the dancing, the drunk dancing he and Linda Cash do, I mean, they're, they're just great together. Uh and he's is he another Canadian actor you found? Yes, yeah, he's a Canadian actor. He's he's a very very talented and the nicest guy. And he writes and directs himself. Uh, it's and this whole character of Father Greg is I love how he comes running in because Abby is in town to empty out her brother's house who just passed away, and he comes rushing in, making jokes at the funeral. Uh, yeah, so it's very off color, but then you get to to see who he is uh, through the the quote unquote wake at the local bar uh, after the funeral that nobody has attended but for the neighbor across the street, Nabby and, and Luke, and it's very rich in emotional tone, and a lot of that comes from Dwayne's performance. Yes. Like you, 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 I wanted it that you start out thinking he's in the wrong job, and then you realize he's in the right job. Yes. Uh, and especially as, we, as it keeps moving to like that last ten minutes, seven minutes actually, and your heart just breaks. You broke my heart with this film. I want you to know that. <laughs> Sorry. You, you, like to, I, you like to do I that. I tried to be true to the characters. Well, I think, well, you definitely were very true to the characters. And that's what's really interesting about this film, uh, about all of your films. You are always very, very true to the characters. And you follow their journey as it should play out. Uh, You know, as it 
actually should play out, not how you hope it plays out. Is that is that something that uh, is that a conscious effort you make to do that, or is that just how it works out for you in developing? I these you stories? know I. I, I try to respect them, the characters. You know, I don't, as I said, I don't like to see actors or characters as puppets. So I like them to have a, you know, a, a truth and a reality to them. Um, you know, there's only so far, actually, because you've seen previous engagement, at one point, it looked like Juliet's character was going to go back with her husband. And I remember while well, writing it thinking, well, if she's going to do that, I'm not going to make this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, uh yeah, but I think generally I just try to see them as real and, and as rounded as possible. And it it just adds so much texture to the film. And you give everybody... And then you, you bring... that. I think that helps you get good actors because that's the roles that good actors want to play. They don't want to play, you know, cookie cutouts. Yeah, I, I can't think of any of your films that have had a cookie cutter perform, role. Try not to. Um... Yeah, I really can't. There's always a life. There's it. Your characters always feel real and feel like life with the foibles, with the screw ups, with the hesitations, with the what ifs. Yeah, I hate my husband. Yeah, I want to leave. Yeah, I want to go running off with you 25 years later. Um, and then something inside people says. Uh, no, not a good idea. You take us, you take us, almost to that point, and then you reel us back to reality. So you give us like the hope of a fantasy, but the best part of reality. Well, thank you. That's very, that's very nice. It's it's nice to have talk to someone like you who really appreciates the movie and all the efforts that go into it and all the talents of the other people that go into it. Yeah, I've got to ask you about the score. I love the score. So much of this score is just single note piano. There's no orchestra. It's single note piano. That, and we really only have, be it Abby and Luke sitting as the only guests in this hotel in these beautiful the restaurant areas i love the design there um but that is just gorgeous that whole bar area and restaurant area with the dark ebony woods and um and the framing uh and the room to separators absolutely beautiful but it's very lonely and isolated and we see this in a hotel room. We see it in empty hallways outside of the church. And we hear a single note piano being played with the score. And it really infuses this great metaphoric sense of loneliness. It's, it's by a composer. His name is, is, is Kenneth Harrison. Um, it's quite interesting. It's, it, uh, he has a... He has a band with his wife, um, so the Wild Strawberries, and I actually, we went from to a previous movie asking if we could use his, a song that he did for our end credit song, and then got talking to him. He's actually a psychiatrist, a very qualified wow. psychiatrist. He does music on the side, and he sends me this amazing, amazing music. The man is so talented. It's astonishing, and the nicest person, too. 
Well, that explain knowing he now knowing he's a psychiatrist explains the musicality and that composition uh, evoking that sense of loneliness and oneness. Um, I, I just think it's so beautiful, and it just brings out. It tells us so much that we're not hearing. And that's yeah, a, that's yeah. Some, he's, he's brilliant in that. Oh my God! Yeah. You know, how long did it take you to put this little masterpiece together, Joan? You know, I think from beginning script to end of the movie, it's usually about a year. Yeah. I mean, we only filmed for four weeks, but you know, there's a lot of time goes <laughs> into a lot of other elements. <laughs> how long? How long? You know, how difficult is your editing process with a film like this? Well, I edit myself, and mm-hmm. I'm very, very slow. So that is the <laughs> hardest part. I am a painfully slower editor. I want to check out everything the actors did, every little bit, and try it out. You know, how much footage do you have where it comes down to you have to kill your darlings? Yeah, you always have to kill your darlings. And often on set, you can see that. Like, there'll be a line, and uh, even at the read-through, and suddenly I'll think, oh, my God, why did I write that line? And, uh, you know, they, even the best actors can't make it sound real. So at that point, I'm going, no, cut that one out now. Don't even film that one. Let's let that one go. Now, with the actors you have here, did you allow for ad-libbing while you were shooting, or was it stick to the script? I'm always open to ad-libbing. I like to get the script first, you know, mm-hmm. um, but actors have different views on that. It's not something Rupert does. He's he's quite English in it. Yes. Um, and the Canadians, particularly Linda Cash and uh, and Dwayne Murray, they love ad-libbing. So I'm, I'm pretty open to it. But, again, we get the script first. Mm-hmm. So how many takes do you gen- did you generally take on this one? Because so much of this... It's just, it's Natasha and Rupert as Abby and Luke. Well, that's it with them. They're so good that I don't need a lot of takes. Like, you're, they're just in, you know, Bruce lights it brilliantly, and, you know, they're such good actors. So for a lot of theirs, it was only, assuming no technical problems, it was only two or three takes, because they both just absolutely nailed it from the start. And uh, and you must love working with Natasha, because you worked with her before. Yes. She's delightful and so, so talented. She should have been a giant star. I don't know why she's not. Because she is no. so good. So good. I, I, get, I saw her first in Vanity Fair many years ago, mm-hmm. and then we were reminded of her seeing her in Night Manager. And it was like, oh, my God, why have we not worked with it? Our daughter said that, said, how can you not make a movie with this woman? She is so good. Now, what would you do without your daughter? What would you do without her? Giving you I know, these, I'd be totally lost. Giving you these pearls of wisdom, Joan. My God. I know, I lean on her a great deal. She's a constitutional lawyer now, so she doesn't always want to answer my question. Oh, my God. She yeah. she finished law school. Yeah, yeah, oh. that's right. Last time you saw her, it was, she was in law school. Oh, my. Is she practicing in Canada? Yeah, yeah. She works for the government as a constitutional lawyer. Ooh, very nice. Very she wants nothing to do with the film business. <laughs> <laughs> you and David turned her off? Yeah, she says it's too irrational, so. 
Well, okay. I'm not arguing her with with her on that point. She's absolutely right. No. Uh, that is true. So now, where can everybody see getting to know you? I think Gra- Gravitas is wonderful. Gravitas supports smaller films. It's They're... really nice, and that means women's films and movies about women over 40, which yep. there is a horrible shortage of. Yeah, they get out there. So um, Gravitas, I think, has it all over the place. Google Play, iTunes, all the various sites. I don't know them all, of course, because we live in Canada. Yeah, I, I know it came out digitally on the 24th, and I'm just guessing that it is every single all of the digital platforms, because I know that's what Gravitas normally does. And I was very, very excited to see that Gravitas picked this up. Um, I'm a big proponent of Gravitas because the very reasons that you just said, uh, the way they champion these little indie films. And when theaters are open, they give them, you know, a one week theatrical release and then Mm -hmm. take it out digitally. Unfortunately, and I would love to see this film on the big screen just for... Yeah, it's a shame, but at the same time, we got to be safe. Well, I don't know. When it comes to film, I think I would risk it. Uh, but I, I'd socially distance and wear a mask, but there are some things you need to see on the big screen. And just watching the luminescence and the sparks between Natasha and Rupert, uh, it, 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 I had it on a what a, fi- a forty-five inch screen or something. That's not big enough. I need a bigger screen. It's obvious I need a bigger screen because they look so spectacular and the nuance. And so they're both such movie stars, aren't they? Oh my! <laughs> they. I went from, and I had I went from watching this film, uh over the weekend into then watching Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman last night on TCM and Indiscreet. And oh, I love that movie. I know. It's one of my favorites. And I was so tickled. And Scott Eamon was also doing an intro with Ben Mankiewicz talk, because his new book on Cary Grant just came out. And oh, right, yeah. And, and Scott has such incredible insight. Uh, every time he writes a book, his research is impeccable. Um, but to... and. I couldn't help but think of Natasha and Rupert um, as I was watching Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman. Yeah, I, I actually, my mother, my mother's from Bristol, her family, and I grew up being told that Cary Grant was a cousin, which I don't actually think is true. Probably everyone in <laughs> Bristol at that time claimed Cary Grant <laughs> as a relative. But um, So I always ended up feeling very close to him, though, and, and I love his work so much. And I did at one point, at the end of the movie with the rap, I did say to Rupert, you know, there were times you reminded me of Cary Grant. Uh, well, see, I'm not the only one then that thought this. Okay. I'm not the yeah. only <laughs> Oh, oh. Joan, this has been an absolute delight. It's been way too long since we've gotten to chat. It has indeed. We cannot let it go this long again. Um, no, not well. We've got another one coming out next year. We've uh, got one. I'm just finishing up post on now with uh, Gina McKee and Doug Hodge. Ooh, ooh, another yeah. romantic dramedy comedy blend. I hope. Yep, it's called the Grand Romantic Gesture. Oh well, with a with a title like that, you can't go wrong. Oh, <laughs> Joan, a pure delight. I have missed talking to you, my friend. Um, oh, I've missed talking to you too. So. And make sure you tell that troublesome one I said hello. 
I will indeed. <laughs> oh, he's something else. But everybody, everybody needs to watch Getting to Know You. And by watching Getting to Know You, they will, if they don't already know you as a filmmaker, they will get to know a lot about you as a filmmaker and a storyteller as well. Um, until, until next year, Joan, we will talk about the next one. Okay, and thank you so much. Your your support is really wonderful. We do really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And have a wonderful holiday. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Joan Carr Wigan, writer, director, editor, getting to know you. It is out on all the digital platforms. And, yes, for all the Hallmarkies out there, one of our favorites, Rupert Penry Jones. Uh, is in this one. That is all the time we have today. Thanks to Tyler Rosen. Thanks to Joan Carr Wigan. Tomorrow, doing my drugs, opens, releases, digitally and elsewhere for World AIDS Day, um, the musical album by the film subject, Thomas Machimba is out, and now you've got Getting to Know You that you can see also. There's something for everyone. So, until next week, we got a full house next week, too. I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens.